Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. And if you're listening to the show live right now, a beautiful sunrise. Take a look to the east and it's just absolutely incredible. If not, I hope you have a great day and able to see the sunset. We have terrific guests lined up for today's show, including... William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. Terry Kaler is a retired banker. He's written his fourth book. It's called Alzheimer's, Dementia, the Silent Assassin and How It Targets Women. We'll find out how, why from Terry. Also, Phil Kirpin is the president of American Commitment. We'll be talking about some facts behind the mass mandates that have uh, really hurt uh, the education of kids in public schools. And Larry Bell endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture, will be joining us as well. It is April the 29th, and on this day in 1992 in Los Angeles, California, four Los Angeles police officers that had been caught beating an unarmed African-American motorist in an amateur video were acquitted of any wrongdoing in the arrest. Hours after the verdicts were announced, outage and pro- outrage and protest turned to violence as the uh, L.A. riots began, protesters in south-central Los Angeles blocked freeway traffic and beat motorists, wrecked and looted numerous downtown stores and buildings, and set more than 100 fires. On March the 3rd, 1991, paroled felon Rodney King led police on a high-speed chase through the streets of Los Angeles before eventually surrendering. Intoxicated and uncooperative, King resisted arrest and was brutally beaten by three police. Unbeknownst to the police, a citizen with a personal video camera was filming the arrest, and the 89-second video caught the police beating King with their batons and kicking him long after he was incapable of resistance. Uh, The video, released to the uh, press, caused outrage around the country and triggered a national debate on police brutality. Rodney King was released without charges, and on March the 15th, the officers were indicted by the Los Angeles Grand Jury in connection with the beating. All four were charged with assault with a deadly weapon and excessive use of force. Because of the uproar in Los Angeles surrounding incident, the judge, Stanley Weisberg, who was persuaded to move the trial to Los Angeles from Los Angeles to Simi Valley in Ventura County, on uh, April the 29th, 1992, the 12-person jury issued its verdicts, not guilty on all counts except for one assault charge that ended in a hung jury. The acquittals touched off the uh, L.A. riots, which grew into the largest U.S. civil disturbances of the 20th century. Violence uh, first erupted in the intersection of Florence Boulevard and Normandy Avenue in south-central Los Angeles. Traffic was blocked and rioters beat dozens of motors, including Reginald Denny, a truck driver who was dragged out of his truck and nearly beaten to death. A news helicopter hovering over the street recorded the event. Los Angeles police were slow to respond, and the violence radiated to areas throughout the city. California Governor Pete Wilson deployed the National Guard at the request of Mayor Tom Bradley, and a curfew was declared. By the morning, hundreds of fires were burning across the city, with more than a dozen people had been killed and injured 
uh, hundreds injured, actually. The unrest continued through the next 24 hours, and the Korean shop owners in African-American neighborhoods defended their businesses with rifles. On May the 1st, President George Bush ordered military troops and riot-trained uh, federal officers to Los Angeles, and by the end of the day, the, the city was under control. The three days of disorder killed more than 60 people, injured almost 2,000, and led to 7,000 arrests, causing nearly a billion dollars in property damage, including the burnings of more than 3,000 buildings. Under federal law, the four officers could also be prosecuted for violating Rodney King's constitutional rights. On April the 17th, 1993, a federal jury convicted a couple of the uh, officers, and uh, King actually died in 2012 in an auto in an accidental drowning of all things the story of the worst riot in the 20th century in downtown los angeles golfer playhouse production of the world premiere another revolution is coming up tonight is a preview the play is set in 1968 against the backdrop of the Martin Luther King assassination and vietnam war with two columbia graduate students learn about themselves and each other uh, the times uh, Lots of plays going on between now and May the 15th. I hope you go to the website, Golf Shore Playhouse, and check it out. Pretty good review in the uh, Naples Daily News today. I hope you'll take a look. Uh, again, great theater, an opportunity to really have some introspection on what's happening today as well as back in 1968. <clears throat> During the month of March, a record 1,514,000 passengers arrived and departed, making March 20. 22, the busiest month for number of passengers in the 39-year history of the Southwest Florida International Airport. It was an increase of 30% compared to 2021, and year-to-date passenger traffic is up 44% compared to last year. Well, probably because of the, uh, getting rid of the mass mandates and the passing of uh, uh, COVID, but I would suggest also the popularity of this area is just unbelievable. Still traffic very busy traffic right now on the streets in uh, on the Paradise Coast. Uh, just a warning, a word to the wise, a residential development in Fort Myers lost half a million dollars in the second alleged fraud scheme to surface among Southwest Florida Community Associations this year. A scammer gained access to the landing's yacht, golf, and tennis club's money through its payroll services, company paychecks, according to the community's attorneys, documents for a sword of directors and a report filed with the Lee County Sheriff's Office. The landing theft has unfolded as at the same time the 35 other Lee and Collier County homeowner associations have filed a civil lawsuit against their former property manager, American Property Management Services. The associations are accusing the company of using its access to their accounts to embezzle more than $8 million. APMS has denied any wrongdoing, of course. The Landings is not involved in the civil case. It appears that Paychecks, the payroll service, was hacked, uh, which gave the hackers the ability to gain access to the Landings bank account information. Uh, so, word to the wise, many of us are involved in some sort of homeowners association. Uh, make sure you keep an eagle eye on what's going on with your finances. Well, the U.S. economy unexpectedly contracted in the first three months of 2022 as the economy was battered by a surge in COVID-19 cases from the Omicron variant, ongoing supply chain problems, surging fuel prices, and a flood of imports. The Bureau of Economic Analysis said on Thursday that the gross domestic product decreased 
at an annual rate of 1.4% in the first quarter of 2022. Economists had expected the economy to grow at 1.1%. Private inventory investment, exports, and government spending fell in the first quarter. Imports, which are subtraction from GDP, surged. Uh, Personal consumption expenditures and real estate spending increased, suggesting that despite the slowdown in the growth, there was no let-up in inflationary pressures. That raises the danger that the economy is headed towards stagflation, where growth lags below trend and inflation remains above trend. Inflation uh, ran hot in the first quarter. The personal consumption uh, expenditure price index, which is the Federal Reserve's preferred gauge of price stability, rose 7%, up from 6.4% in the fourth quarter of last year. Excluding the volatile categories of food and energy, prices were up 5.2%, up from 5% at the end of 2021. Income lagged inflation. Real disposable income fell 2% in the quarter. The personal savings rate fell at 6.6%, down from 7.7% at the end of the quarter. Well, in spite of all that, President Joe Biden has blamed technical factors after the U.S. economy shrank. In a statement responding to the concerning new data, Biden insisted that the U.S. economy continues to be resilient in the face of historic challenges. Biden did not elaborate on what technical factors he was blaming the shrinking growth, but Commerce Department said the uh, growing trade deficit and lower business spending on inventories were key factors. Uh, The news just keeps on (laughs) coming from uh, Joe Biden and what's happening with our economy. One man wrecking crew. Well, in spite of our domestic woes, President Biden yesterday requested $33 billion in new funding to go towards supporting Ukraine's military and their defense against the ongoing Russian invasion, $33 billion. In a press release from the White House, the Biden administration stated they are calling on Congress to approve the new funding to provide additional resources to help ensure Ukraine's democracy prevails over Putin's aggression. They noted that almost all of the $3.5 billion in drawdown authority Congress provided in March has been exhausted, saying the U.S. has supplied weapons, ammunition, helicopters, anti-tank and anti-aircraft systems, drones and grenade launchers to the country. Continued bipartisan support in Congress is vital to ensuring that the Ukrainian people have the resources they need to win the war, and the administration is committed to working with lawmakers and our global allies and partners to keep aid flowing to Ukraine uninterrupted and to support those devastated by the food crisis that Putin's war has exacerbated, the press release stated. $33 billion would include $20.4 billion in funding that would help Ukraine defend itself over the long term, including additional security and military assistance for the country, and resources to give the country additional equipment necessary to defend the country, like accelerated cyber capabilities and uh, addressed air defense systems, assistance to clear explosive devices, and stronger NATO security posture. The sum also includes $8.5 billion in economic assistance to help the government of Ukraine respond to the immediate crisis and continue to provide basic uh, citizen services. This is kind of unbelievable. You think about what's happening on our border, our southern border. Right now, we still haven't completed the wall. Mayorkas has testified to Congress, and what a sham that is. He wants to create a disinformation service 
uh, to track disinformation on what's happening on the border. <laughs> and if you, you just listen to him, and he's full of misinformation. It's just unbelievable. And tell me, who's going to monitor the money that's being sent? $33 billion. I mean, we've had so much waste coming out of the uh, stimulus programs that uh, created by Biden. And now who's monitoring the money that's being spent in Ukraine right now? Some have noted the cost to send the aid across the world to Ukraine shadows that which would have been needed to build the U.S. southern border wall and defend it amidst an historic increase in migration. Mayorkas yesterday basically said, hey, migration is under total control. We have a plan. Well, that was just absolutely a plain, bald-faced lie. And now we're sending this money over to Ukraine. We're $30 trillion in debt. Where is the money coming from? Well, we're going to borrow it. And, of course, what's happening in interest rates? It's Interest rates are going up. We're going to have a real squeeze on our economy uh, going forward. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting choicesocial.us. Choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Phil Kirpin, president of American Commitment. Right now we have with us William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. William, tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. So uh, we'll talk about what's happening on Capitol Hill, and it uh, looks like Biden's suffered another big court case loss. Well, indeed. So the backstory here is that the Biden uh, administration recently announced it was going to roll back a restrictive Trump-era immigration policy that uh, basically allowed border agents to turn away migrants based on the pandemic, uh, the threat posed by COVID. Uh, more than 20 states, both Republican and Democrat, uh, Democrats, governors, um, sued over the policy. And this week, a federal district court judge in Louisiana prospectively barred Biden from implementing this roll pack. Um, so this is actually another strange instance, and we spoke about one last week with respect to that uh, travel mask, um, uh, the, 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 that policy that was nixed by a, a district court judge in Florida. Uh, this one, uh, as well, is an instance whereby the Biden administration lost but welcomes this loss. I mean, they're not doing so avowedly, but it's no secret that the administration um, was done a big political favor by the court here, mm -hmm. and that's because – Seven Senate Democrats and about 30 or so members of the House, Democrat members of the House, opposed the president on this measure and were champing at the bit for a vote in Congress that would effectively overturn uh, Biden's rollback of this policy. So, um, in essence, again, as with the travel mask, uh, the travel mask policy, where the Biden was caught between public health, ad, you know, the, the sort of a the, those overly concerned with COVID, perhaps, and the airlines, on the other hand, um, he was extricated from that political dilemma by the courts. So it occurred here. Um, so it's this is a really sort of unprecedented, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I, I, I follow these things closely, and I, I can't recall an administration um, benefiting, you know, uh, so conspicuously so often from big-time court losses. Yeah, it sounds like he kind of saved, the court saved him from himself. <laughs> Indeed, yes. You know, and, and by the way, I, I read also that the Supreme Court is reviewing the stay in Mexico policy that was implemented by uh, Trump. Uh, I guess they're going to have some sort of a decision in June, which I don't know why it should take so long, because we have this imminent threat of uh, people coming across the border. A any update and thoughts on that? Oh, I, I'm loath to prognosticate on how the Supreme Court is going to come out, especially on something on a policy like immigration. I, I will note, um, yes, the wheels of justice are slow, uh, yeah. and, and perhaps uh, inexcusably so. Um, but uh, alas, that is our lot. Uh, understood. So uh, Congress is coming back from a two-week vacation right now, and uh, so any, anything important, what do you think is really going on between now and, uh, say, Labor Day, or, or not Labor Day, but uh, July 4th? Well, shoot, 
the, I guess the big date is Memorial Day, because historically speaking, in an election year, um, Congress has until, or the majority parties in Congress have until Memorial Day to get anything done before, as a practical matter, everyone is, is off campaigning. Um, um, for both majority parties in Congress, I guess I'm pleased to report that they seem to be adrift at this crucial time. Um, in, in the House, uh, Speaker Pelosi is a bit of a lame duck. Um, she, you know, she's not expected to run for House Speaker um, during the next term, and, and you know, in the high likelihood that Dems won't be in control. Um, but nonetheless, right now, their their foremost issue for the majority in the House seems to be um, some sort of policy to mitigate the the gas price increases. I mean, that seems to be their focus. Mm -hmm. um, and the foremost idea here is, is a gas tax holiday, or, or you know, a, a reprieve, if you will, from the 18 cents per gallon federal tax on gasoline. Um, I'll note here that this, of course, angers the environmentalist base and the progressive base of the Democrat Party. Um, so any policy that proceeds here w would have to overcome some internal division. So uh, that is to say they're not all on the same page. Um, and in the Senate, leadership seems to have no plans. Um, at this point, uh, a number of, of small bipartisan groups are negotiating different groups, uh, immigration reform to the Electoral Count Act and uh, uh, energy and environmental policy. And that's sort of that's all taking place apart from leadership in the Senate. And frankly, I don't expect any of it to amount to much. Yeah, well, of course, uh, the... Uh so the Senate leader uh, decided that uh, perhaps raising our taxes would be a good idea. I think he's trying to push that. And also, uh, the president is talking about uh, forgiving student loans. I mean, just trying to buy boats. It's just unbelievable. Uh, trying to garner support up until the election to November 2022. Uh, is that going to take an act to Congress, or can he do that on his, on his own? It, it, it's a gray area because it hasn't been attempted before. Um, I think the president purports power to to offer some sort of limited, um, you know, uh, taking these loans off the books. I will note it, just how ridiculous it is and, and what a, a, a criticism it makes for our modern political order here in Washington, D.C., that we've got Democrats in charge of both the House and the Senate and yet it is leaders in Congress, I mean Schumer in particular, Senate Majority Leader Schumer in particular, who are pushing the president to unilaterally uh, perform this action, you know, cancel debt of up to ten or $50,000 for three million-odd bar borrowers. Yeah. Um, so it, it is, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, you know, the fact that Congress is supposed to be the primary domestic policymaker <coughs> under our constitutional order and we've got these leaders of Congress really pushing the president to abuse executive power. Um, it's a, a piteous to see. Yeah, absolutely. Before I let you go, uh, right now Trump is being fined ten thousand dollars a day for not uh, providing support to the or responding to the request from, uh, I guess, the New York uh, district attorney. I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but what are your thoughts? This one, so it was a New York state judge uh, finding Trump in contempt for failing to comply with New York Attorney General Lolita James's um, subpoena, which we've spoken about before. This is a tax investigation into the Trump organization. Hmm. Um, and I guess my only comment here, and this is one I've made before, but what are the priorities of the leadership in New York? I mean, as I understand it, I've re recently read in the New York Post that New York voters, at least, 
are laser focused on rising crime in the city. Yeah. Um, so it, it just is kind of ridiculous that the New York Attorney General is uh, expending significant resources on what appears to be a plainly political prosecution, and at the end of the day, is, is a tax matter. I mean, it just it seems beneath the office. Absolutely. William Yeatman, again, research fellow at the Cato Institute. Cato, C-A-T-O dot org is the website. William, always appreciate your most well-informed commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Terry Kayla. He is a retired banker who's uh, writing books. He writ he's written his fourth book now. It sounds so interesting. We'll find out about that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. Right now we have with us local author, Terry Kayla, former banker, now retired and I believe this is his fourth book that he's written. It's called Alzheimer's Dementia, The Silent Assassin and How It Targets Women. Terry, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Terry. So why'd you write the book? Um, the driver behind writing the book was the fact that my mother died of Alzheimer's. Mm. Um, she died in April of 2020, <clears throat> right at the beginning of the pandemic. 
And unfortunately, when she passed away, um, we were not able to see her for the last uh, few days of her life because of the, the lockdown. So uh, a lot of people talk about that. And obviously, the devastation was, was pretty great for our family and many other families that were affected by that as well. I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, uh, tell us what you've learned about uh, Alzheimer's and what you'd like to share with us in your book. Yeah, there's two two areas that I quickly go over. One is just general statistics that point to the severity of the problem that we have today and that will only increase with time. And primarily because the driver, the main driver of the disease is longevity, or as we get older, we have a much better, uh, higher propensity to get the, the disease. So we know right now, Bob, that out of the top 10 killer diseases in the U.S., Alzheimer's is number seven, but it's the only one of the top 10 where there is no cure. Hmm. So that's a big issue. We also know that every day, 10,000 baby boomers are turning 65, and that has been the case for several years now and will be the case for another six or seven years. So we are becoming an aging society that is going to continue to, to deal with this. Also, we know that 80% of Alzheimer's patients are at least 75 years old or older. And by the year 2050, one in four Americans will be age 65 and older. Hmm. So we're kind of walking into the trap here without meaning to, but it's certainly an issue that we need to be concerned about. Uh, The other major issue that I ran into, which I was not really familiar with, is the fact that not only does the disease attack women on a two-to-one ratio, hmm. but also the caregivers are also women on a two-to-one ratio. So uh, unfortunately, women are uh, pointed out with this disease, and it's, it's really something that I think older women, uh, I would say 50 years and older, need to be aware of and hopefully uh, take actions to try to protect themselves as best they can. And the reason, the primary reason for that, of course, is women live longer than men, about three to four years generally. But, Bob, there's several other um, physical conditions that uh, women have a greater propensity to acquire that uh, contribute to the disease. And those include anxiety and depression, stroke, autoimmune disease, brain tumors, diabetes, obesity, hypertension, and hormonal changes, which is quite a mouthful. Uh, The other interesting thing they found out is that women's brains and men's brains are about 98% the same. But there are some small uh, deviations. And one is for women, their their frontal uh, temporal lobe is larger than in men. And that is where executive function or administration is housed. And one of those functions is verbal memory. So ironically, when women take cognitive testing, they tend to score better than men, which actually can hinder them in being able to know whether they have, uh, they're having memory issues or maybe having the beginnings of Alzheimer's. So it's something to be very concerned about. Yeah, that's so interesting. And, uh, you know, I'm so happy that you've highlighted caregivers, too, because uh, I've certainly... Uh, know of circumstances. I haven't had any Alzheimer's in my family, but I've known of people who've had Alzheimer's. And uh, it's so destructive. It's so sad to watch. And it happens over time, sometimes quickly, but uh, most of the time, very slowly. And it could be really wearing on the entire family. And you see these people literally go away. They're still living, but the, who they are almost disappears. 
Yeah, for my for my mother, she was in her mid eighties when we kind of started noticing some issues, and she died in ninety four. And you know, six to eight years is kind of the uh, rule of thumb, so to speak, of from time of uh, diagnosis until death. It's usually a handful of years. One thing I just would would like to point out to your listeners that I think is very helpful. There was a book by, written by a lady by the name of Helene Berger. And the name of the book is called um, um, Choosing Joy. And it's an incredible book, Bob, because her husband had Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And she was uh, very organized and very determined to bring him a good life during his time uh, with the disease. And basically what she said in the book, which really hit me and I think would hit your listeners, is she just made a decision that he was going to have a great life as a patient and she was too so she was very organized and basically her comment was for every waking moment of his life he was pushed mentally um, and it got to the point where and i she wasn't really sure how this originated but he started writing her love letters in the evening hmm. and he she was so kind to him and she was very careful about not embarrassing him and not talking like behind his back, but um, it's, a, it's a wonderful trip down memory lane because that's what you really want. And she was able to live a fulfilled life, too. She played tennis. She went to the, uh, to the symphony, um, and she was really a wonderful example of what caregiving can look like. Although you got to put a lot of effort into it to make that happen. Yeah, certainly. Well, that that is so inspiring. I, I guess she was at uh, some point. He was she was watching his decline in um, in uh, mental ability, but she was challenging con uh, continuously. Is that is that the story that I'm taking away from this? Yeah. One of, yeah. One other thing that she did, which uh, was interesting, is one night after dinner, she handed him a blank canvas, basically, and some drawing pencils, and said, "Draw whatever you want." And he just started drawing houses and memories from his childhood and stuff like that. And it's actually those pictures, several of those pictures are in the book. And they're fairly simple. It's not like he be became some great artist. But what she was able to do, and I think this is another key for caregivers, is to you know, find out what it is about the patient that they still is a hot button for them. What do they enjoy? Mm -hmm. You know, It could be being outside. It could be in going for a long drive or a walk. I mean, there's all kinds of things, but I think what we tend to do is not think of them as human beings anymore, but just patients that we have to, you know, take care of. And it, it can really be turned on its nose in a good way. And I think that's what she was able to do. And it's, again, it was very, very encouraging. And right before he died, um, they had a big party and he was introduced to like a dozen people and he remembered every one of their names. Wow. And people said after this dinner party, like, does he still, does he really have Alzheimer's? And so again, the proof is in the pudding. And most of the people that we understand that deal with, with Alzheimer's patients are just the opposite. They, they have no, um, they don't provide a lot of care, a lot of uh, loving kindness, so to speak, yeah. to the patient. And I think that is very detrimental to the patient. Well, yeah, as you pointed out, I mean, we've got all this got this on our horizon where uh, many of our families will be affected by Alzheimer's and dementia. 
on one hand. On the other hand, I'm sure most of us are not very uh, enlightened as to what we can do about the situation and how to handle it well. So the name of Terry's book, it's called Alzheimer's Dementia, The Silent Assassin and How to tar- How It Targets Women. Terry, how can people get the book? Uh, it's available on Amazon.com. And uh, I think it's in paperback form. It's it's pretty easy read. I have uh, 18 pages of references in the back because I'm not a medical person. Uh, but I did a lot of research to make sure we had good information. And I think it just um, it, it gives everybody um, kind of a plan of attack at the end of the book. And also, I think like anything else, a lot of Alzheimer's caregivers think they're in this thing alone. Yeah. And that's the opposite of the truth. For all of us over 60, it, it's, we're probably going to face it in our families sometime down the road and maybe ourselves. So the, the planning piece, uh, basically living a healthy life is basically what will help offset it to the to most. Right. Terry Kayla, again, last name spelled C-A-L-A, uh, Alzheimer's yeah. Dementia, The Silent Assassin and How It Targets Women. Terry, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Bob. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, Phil Kirpin. He's a uh, frequent guest on the show. He's uh, the president of American Commitment. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the mask mandates and what we've learned about that. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to uh, visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you. Thank you, Phil. Tell us about American Commitment. We're a national free market advocacy group. We work really on all the uh, fiscal, economic, and regulatory issues, and we try to get public engagement on the fights that are on the margin, where a little bit more citizen knowledge and engagement can make the difference and tip some of these fights in a more free market direction. And all our stuff is on AmericanCommitment.org. AmericanCommitment.org. So, Phil, you supported the development of a piece that I found extremely interesting uh, about mask mandates. It's called Mask Mandated Districts Had More School Disruptions. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, you know, all winter long, we had the Federal Department of Education and the CDC with this constant drumbeat. If you want your schools to stay open, you have to mask the kids. Masks will keep schools open. It's the only way. You've got to mask them. And they said it over and over and over again. They said, we know what works. They said, you've got to do it. You're going to have closures if you don't. And, you know, the media went wild with these stories about um you know, school districts in places like Oklahoma where they had so many people sick that they had to close and they didn't have masks. And um, what, what I wanted to do is find out what actually happened. Were they right? You know, I yep. mean, the winter's been over for a while. The data exists. Uh, what, what actually happened? Were, were they right? Did the masks prevent closures the way the federal government told us over and over again they would? And so we obtained, uh, I collaborated with uh, Emily Burns and Josh Stevenson on this, we obtained a comprehensive data set from a company called Burbio that includes the 500 largest school districts in the country, and it has mask policy, and it also has closures. And so we, we checked. We checked whether there were more closures in the school districts with mask mandates or not. And in fact, the exact opposite of what they told us over and over and over again would happen, actually happened, which is to say the mask-mandated districts, in the mask-mandated districts, 35% of districts had some closure in January and February of this year. Uh, in the non-mask-mandated districts, it was only 11%. And if you looked at it as a percentage of total student learning days that were lost, uh, it was an even bigger discrepancy. Over 3% of all student learning days were lost to closures in January and February in the mask-mandated districts, and only 0.75 in the non-mask-mandated districts, um, uh, the closure rate in the mask-mandated districts. Uh, amazing statistics. I guess, uh, why are we learning this from, I mean, thank you for your contribution, your piece that you wrote from American Committee. This is great. But why are we getting this news? Why aren't we getting it from, for example, the CDC? Where's the transparency? Uh, Phil, it's just really shocking how politicized this entire process has become. Well, you know, they have got this, they've got this publication at the CDC called MMWR, Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, and um, people act as if, the media act as if it's like a scientific journal. And in fact, it's more like glorified press releases. They only publish things that fit their policy. And so they've got every school masks, you know, quote-unquote study they've ever published claims they work, but they're all ridiculous methodologically. They don't publish their data. They don't publish their code. And they seem interested only in vindicating their policy recommendations rather than actually publishing honest analyses of what happened. And, you know, I think that 
you know, in this case, the data is so clear mm-hmm. that they don't want to do a comprehensive analysis. I think they know that it would show that they were wrong. I mean, just just with our own sort of informal observations during the winter, it was pretty clear to me that it was the mask mandated places that were closing because those were the places that were still, you know, COVID crazy. And so they got some cases and they closed. The places that weren't masking kids were kind of over it. They got, you know, COVID's part of the world. You get it, then you get better. You don't freak out about it. And so they were much less likely to close. They had fewer closures and they had shorter closures and they only had closures when basically when they actually had a staffing problem yeah yeah i mean you not out of panic yeah i mean and, uh, it, intuitively i think we all understood this at least i had the, the sense that well you know kids just they're resilient they have a strong immune system statistics show the kids aren't getting sick or if they do uh, get the uh, covid they're not going to be uh, hospitalized you know what statistics show now bob that almost every kid in america has already had covid <laughs> Really? <laughs> they had it whether they were masked or not, whether their school was open or not. They, most parents don't even know. The kids don't even know because they got it. It was so mild. They got it. And they, they, you know, we, we've got serological testing data now, antibody testing data. The CDC actually published this week. They said at least 75% of all uh, Americans age 0 to 17 were antibody positive, meaning they'd had a prior infection by February of 2022, 75%. And, of course, that's a low-ball estimate because not everyone who gets an infection is going to become, test antibody positive. Some right. people don't. And so, you know, the real number is even higher than that. So what, what was all the disruption for? They all got it anyway. Yeah, there's so many things right now that this this is all revealed. Everything from uh, what's happening with our uh, teachers' unions to the uh, schools, public school systems to there's been so much reveal under this uh, entire process. But again, I just underscore it's so disappointing that we can't trust uh, our uh, health. Uh, public health agencies and uh, for the Tony Fauci and the others for getting good information. I mean, w- to your point, I mean, it would be very nice if they'd said, you know what, we thought masking would be a good idea. It's not. <laughs> we found that out. We can we can reveal that now. Unfortunate. You know, I, I right. I, I wish they would check their work. And it's one thing to make recommendations uh, based on limited information. You think you're doing the right thing at the time. It's another thing to continue to make those same recommendations when we have the data and it doesn't support them. And that's what they've done. Yeah, absolutely. Phil, the uh, the piece mask mandated districts have more schools uh, had more schools disrupted disruptions. I must say, I, I really appreciated the piece. It's very well written. Lots of graphs. Uh, is it on the uh, website? Uh, you can get to it. It's linked on our website. It actually resides on Emily Burns' website. Uh, but if you, the easiest way to get to it, go to AmericanCommitment.org. We've got the press release there, and it links to the study. All right. AmericanCommitment.org is the website. Phil, always appreciate your most well-informed commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Have a good one. You as well. Thank you. All right. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell. Larry Bell is an endowed professor in the University of Houston in space architecture. He's the author of many books, his latest, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier. He co-authored that book with uh, Buzz Aldrin. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. 
Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now for another revolution running through May the 15th. Uh, go to golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's the author of many books, his latest, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor. I just uh, 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 You wrote a piece in uh, Newsmax.com, which, by the way, you publish about three times a week. Sanders uh, sees faltering Biden as clearing path for 2024 run. What an interesting thought. Uh, was Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, apparently it's not only my thought, but uh, his campaign manager, there was, a, there was an article that came out in the Washington Post just very recently about uh, uh, this came again from his... Uh, Bernie Sanders, 2020 campaign manager, and continuing to be a very close political advisor. There was a, a memo that was leaked out to his quote allies that uh, said that uh, in the event that uh, Joe Biden were to drop out, uh, Sanders would quote not rule out running. For president again, and it gave him some t- gave them some talking points about how to explain that. Well, you know, when you bore down into this a little bit, you realize that I think probably close to a majority of the population doesn't think that Biden, that Biden will run again, uh, either voluntarily or through through uh, some other movements that might take place within his own party. And so, uh, you know, it looks like Bernie sees a pathway again, and we can only, again, sort of guess at what that would mean. But 
is in, in that uh, clearly doubling down on the same policies that that got the current administration such disastrous poll numbers going into the midterms, it's hard to imagine that uh, Bernie would bring much uh, sunlight to that. Yeah. You know, Professor, uh, one thing that if, in fact, Bernie Sanders decided to run, at least there would be some uh, coordination between real policy and what he believes and, and what, what they're saying uh, you know, he is a communist, and all of the policies that he supports right now are trying to be implemented by the Biden administration. I would be, in my opinion, totally disastrous for the country if uh, if uh, he were to become uh, uh, Bernie Sanders well, or we, Trump. Yeah, we understand that. I think that you know when when uh, when uh, Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden was, was, was chosen by the Democrats as someone who might have some chance of winning in 2020. And, and Bernie had a lot of followers, of course. And, mm-hmm. and this is not conjecture on my part. It was very factual that you know, there was a Bernie Sanders-Biden coalition that was formed, and John Kerry was on it, and AOC and others that really drafted the, the platform for their, for the party and uh, for the Democrat Party. And I think at the time, most people said, well, yeah, sure. It's got all this you know, stuff in it that, you know, clearly Biden, the uniter, is not going to go along with this. Uh, he just did it to, you know, to you know, get through the door in terms of being the uh, primary winner. But lo and behold... They held him to it, and uh, so all the all the legislation we're seeing really came out of Elizabeth Warren and came out of Bernie Sanders and came out of that camp. So it simply puts a face on you know we always wonder who's the who are the puppeteers that you know behind Biden. Well, you know I'm not saying the top level is Bernie and AOC. I think it goes a whole lot higher than that, but mm-hmm. but nevertheless. Uh, these are the policies with Build Back Broke and, and all of the other entitlement programs. And, of course, now we see the tuition waiver for, you know, for, you know, for college students and so on that they think might buy some votes for, you know, the generation that they're losing. They're, they're now drifting behind even in the young votes, along with the Hispanics and blacks and everyone else. So, so it's an interesting strategy, I think. I think it's going to be one that can, you know, will inevitably split the Democrat Party even more and, and try to pull them further to the left, where I just don't think the country's going that direction. I agree, Professor. As a matter of fact, it seems to me, to your point, that we're seeing a disaffection of uh, young people, blacks, Hispanics, uh, people of all sorts are basically saying about the, the, uh, these policies that this is not our cup of tea. We, this is not what we want America to be. And uh, while they may have thought differently in 2022 or 2021 or 2020, rather, uh, right now, I wonder, I just think that's kind of a failed strategy. It makes me wonder if the Democrats shouldn't be pivoting right now in order to get back in favor. Well, it's, it's, uh, most people I think are scratching. Well, and then you kind of go back to the old, 
uh, Clinton kind of uh, uh, strategy where you, you go to the middle, you know, and you he, he pulled that off a couple of times and the notion of things aren't going so well, you you change the subject and you and you you bring it back to the middle. But this these these people uh, they seem really not very self-aware because they instead of doing that they double down mm-hmm. and uh, the doubling down simply uh, accelerates the you know the it puts fuel in the fire and and so it's it's counter it's counterintuitive that they continue to do this. But they've been pulled by the left, and I think, of course, you've got a lot of internal dynamics where Schumer's afraid he's going to be primaried by AOC, and you've got Pelosi, and she wants to, you know, she wants to have her legacy, and you have all these other, I think, very individual things. Not to mention the fact that they know when, when the Republicans get in, all of these investigate, investigation committees in the Congress both in the House and the Senate are going to flip, and all this, all the dirty laundry is going to come out. You know, Hunter's laptop and the Biden, you know, collusion, you know, corruption, and and the you know the the Russian collusion, spying on Trump, you know, by the deep state, and all this stuff. Durham, the Durham report is looking more and more uh, uh, interesting all the time. Interesting mm-hmm. word. Uh, but, but they, I think they, they, you know, you, you would think that they would see that this is going to be a total wipeout for them come the midterms, but yet they, they seem to simply double down, which, but you got, you just got to wonder, uh, how, how they can be so tone deaf. Absolutely. And we talk about a divided country. I guess my feeling is I'm willing to talk to anybody about any persuasion when it comes to their politics, as long as their position is they'd like to make America great again. (laughs) If they're on America's side, let's have a conversation. Otherwise, I mean, to me, that's where the conversation breaks down is some of these people don't even seem like they want uh, America to succeed. A lot of the top level senators and House members have said they've never had a meeting with Biden. All the time, to the total time he's been in office. Now, you kind of wonder whether it's whether it's just you know he's too absent to want to talk to them. But I think more. I don't think they want to expose his mental condition. Yeah. Which uh, and and I think there's a lot of that concern going on in the country. It's not just the policies, but here's you here you got a guy who who's hitting on about three cylinders, who's presumably you know negotiating with. Uh, Xi Jinping and, and Putin and, and world leaders, and and uh, that's pretty terrifying. Terrifying indeed. I mean, he's, yesterday could say kleptocracies. <laughs> he's, he's struggling indeed. It's not funny, really. Uh, but I, I do want to point out uh, your column uh, is on Newsmax.com. It's called On Point by Larry Bell. And again, Sanders sees faltering Biden as clearing path for 2024. Really interesting stuff. Professor, I really appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, I always enjoy it, and thank you so much. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly uh, learned a lot today and uh, appreciated sharing some of this stuff with you. It was great. On Monday, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about global events. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. 
And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, just came out with his new book, No Problem, uh, a sequel to uh, Shake the Money Tree uh, that he wrote uh, a couple years ago. I hope you make it a great day and a great weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>